Praise the Lord. Thank you, Ian. Good morning, everybody. Today we're talking about emissions, small print, <laughs> faith, big print, pledge, okay? And I will explain in, in more detail what that is as we go through the morning. To begin with, as you look at the countries of the world and the financial systems, the economic systems of those nations, they differ enormously. You look at communism, for example, which is very harsh, very strict. And then you look at the likes of the UK, which is very benevolent, actually, quite a good country that way. You look at some economies, and they're crazy, and others, they're wise. Some countries don't even have an economic system, you know? They can be complete, like Somalia, they can be just completely crazy countries. Well, the kingdom of God and finances are not like that. Amen. Thank God. <laughs> but nor, nor is the kingdom of God and the finances in the kingdom of God like business. Now, we get many people through the church that come from business. They're trained in business or they run a business. And I get it all the time where people come up and say, why don't you do this? In my company, I do that. Yeah, well, your manager is not God, you know. <laughs> it, it, the church is not a business, folks. The church is not a business. And it's not God's, I'll call it God's economy for want of a better word, but that is a good way to put it. The church can only really succeed and grow, and your finances personally, my friend, are only going to prosper. There's good prosperity and bad prosperity. You don't want the bad stuff. There's good prosperity and bad prosperity, folks. The Bible says the wicked prosper. That's bad, right? You can be wicked and prosper. It's bad news. That's not what we're looking for. There's good prosperity, which I'm talking about today. And God's desire is that every one of us, every one of us, remember last week, the widow of Zarephath? There's no exceptions. There's no exceptions. That every one of us in some way become a channel. And it never ceases to amaze me how, how much God can do with one thing. You know? Let me give you an example. Let's say I've got all I have in my life is 100 pounds. You know? And I hear that there's a need here or there or whatever. And I think, and my heart responds to it, and I say, do you know what I'll do? I think I'll just step out in faith and give that 100 pounds. Listen closely. Something happens to me. That's the first thing. Secondly, something happens to the person I sent the money to. Okay? Same, same money, but I've been changed the mission has been changed. If I'm married, when you become a giver, your wife, your husband becomes a beneficiary of that, believe me. Because a man who will not give, he will not be given to his wife either. Not be generous towards his wife. It's, there's, one, there's one pipe here, friends. And you find that people who are not generous with money, typically they're not generous in any other way. But when you learn to be generous, when you step out in faith and give, what constantly amazes me is the number of effects that diversify, that you don't expect. You didn't see that coming. Your relationship, I gave that and my relationship's better, huh? I gave that and a church was planted, huh? So many good things. That's what I would call God's economy. You give one gift and He uses it in multiple ways. I love that. I'm excited about it. Secondly, I would say to you, and this is something that I really feel some of you need to hear this morning. 
By the way, here's a question. <laughs> Do you want to be a giver? Do you want to be a big giver? I got one, yes. Praise the Lord. I think we all want to be big givers. Amen. Right? We want to give to the kingdom. There's, it's so exciting to do that. Well, what are you going to have to do then? <laughs> give, yes. You're going to have to learn to receive. You're going to have to learn to be trustworthy so I can give you stuff. You're going to have to learn to receive. Now, I, in the early days of my Christian life, before that even, I had a problem receiving. And some of you have problems receiving. Believe me. You don't recognize that that's been your problem, by the way. You don't think that's the issue. But for multiple reasons, some people, you know, God just can't get stuff to them, can't bless them. Remember Peter, a good example. Jesus wants to use Peter to build the church, etc., etc., and he comes to him and he goes to wash his feet. What's Peter's reaction? No, I can't receive nothing. I can only give. That's what I do. I give, and I give, and I give. <laughs> But nobody's ever going to give me anything. Now, Peter's got a problem there. That's, I would actually call that self-righteousness. That's self-righteousness. Peter thinks he's got a problem within himself, and he thinks he doesn't need it, if you know what I mean. We need to give, amen. But you've got to understand, folks, that giving starts with receiving, actually. Because God, you change as a person. And he can get finances to you. And then you start to actually give that out. You become that channel. And that can start small, big. That's up to God in your heart and what kind of person you are. Look at the third epistle of John. 3 John, a tiny little letter in the back of your Bible. I want you to see this scripture. 3 John and the first verse. I'm glad it's in the Bible because <laughs> you can't say I made it up. This is a shocking scripture. It really and look who's saying it. It's John. It's the Apostle John. The three John, the third epistle of John. This shows us how important finances is, are. To the elder, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above what? What does he say? All things. Gaius, I wish above all things that you prosper. The, the, word, the Greek word there is finance, by the way. It's a money word, okay? He chooses a word for money to use that word prosper. I wish above all things that you prosper and that you be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now, please look at me. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that giving begins with your obedience. What's that? The tithe, the tithe. You get the tithe out of your accounts, out of your home. The next thing becomes your soul. When you make a free will offering, what does that do to me? It changes my personality. My soul is beginning to prosper. My soul is beginning to change. What was the next one? Sacrificial. Now my character is starting to grow. My soul is starting to prosper. And if you read this scripture and you didn't understand it, you would think that John was misleading Gaius. But that's not what John is actually saying. John says, Gaius, I pray that as you have learned to change your soul through free will giving, through sacrificial offerings, through faith, I pray that, as, that God will prosper you to the same degree 
that your soul prosper. Exactly. So it's a very balanced statement, a very balanced prayer that, that John is praying for Gaius. And I pray the same for us, Jeanette. I pray the same for every one of you. I pray that God does not prosper you beyond your soul prosperity. Because that's, what, that, that's wickedness. That's where we get into trouble. Did you understand me? Because you, you don't need that. What you need is your soul to prosper for you to be a, a, go, a good person, a better person, a generous person, a kind person, a loving person. And John says, as you become that, I pray that God increases your wealth. Praise the Lord. Good prayer, John. This, today's message is not a three-point sermon. I want to just I want to go back over some of the thoughts about finance because we're going to make our faith pledge this week and next week. Um, and I want to just recap or rethink and revise my thoughts, your thoughts on how this whole finance thing works. I guess for me, one of the primary points that I must never forget is that prospering, me growing in prosperity, us growing in prosperity is part of the cross. It's part of the cross. It's part of the fall. Poverty entered this world because of the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And just like Jesus Christ, we can get so religious and we say, well, Jesus died for my sin. Yes, He did. He took it on the cross. You can say He died for my sickness. Yes, He did. He took it on His back. But friends, He also died for our poverty. He also died to take away poverty, and he did, it on the, he did it on the cross. Scripture makes that very clear. It says, for, for your sakes he became poor. He wasn't poor, by the way. Jesus was born into a business family, carpenters. There's not one mention of him ever being poor. That's a religious concept. He was born into a business family, and then when he left that family, as we read last week, he had people who supplied his needs. Susanna, Joanna, Mary, they're listed. So he was never poor, except in one place, which is the cross. And for your sakes, he became poverty, just like he became sickness, just like he became sin on the cross, so that you would, and Scripture puts it nice and bluntly, so that you may be made rich in this life, and that's for the purpose of missions, which we'll get to in a moment, primarily for mission. Another key point I need to remember, because I, I am very serious about balanced preaching. I hope and trust that God will continue to trust me with my, my balanced approach to the Word of God, right? I take great pains to do that. You know, Scripture mentions fear 365 times, prayer 500 times, faith 500 times, and prosperity 2,000 times. So, really, I don't care what people think. I need to honor God. And if I'm going to be balanced in terms of presenting the Bible, then really I should be giving more messages on finances because finance really screw up so many people's lives and it holds back their spiritual growth. Like I said last week, Jesus said, nobody else, Jesus said, when I can trust you with finance, then... I will give you spiritual things. That's what he said. That's what he said. Once I've got that sorted out in you, then we can move on to the dynamic stuff, if you can put it that way, the power stuff. 
But it's going to start with finance, and that's something we can like it or lump it, but that's where Christ starts. Another point I would say that I've learned over the years is I will not let anyone judge me anymore for my receiving or for my giving. God, you can bless me in whatever way you want, and I will not receive the judgment of my brothers and sisters or anybody else. I will give, and they can mock all they want, and I will receive too. I will do both, and I will not be judged for that. <sighs> Jesus, <laughs> if only you, <laughs> some of you guys struggle over 10%. God help you. Uh, God help you. I remember once, one point in our lives, the church was struggling, and I, wor- I took on a job, and I started working full-time, but at that point, we had several houses rented out, and we had quite an income, and, but the church was soaking up everything that we had. And so I had to go and get a job and I, I, working there. And one day the manager kind of figure, figured me out. And she came over and she, she was quizzically staring into space and she stood beside me. And she said, you're giving your money to the church, aren't you? I said, yeah. Because she knew I didn't need to be there for any other reason. That's what you're doing, isn't it? I said, Yeah. And then she just changed. You fool. She just looked so sarcastically at me, so mockingly at me. You complete and utter fool. Would you know what? I don't receive it. (laughs) I will give what I want to give. And I will not be judged or mocked. Mock all you like. You're not going to change my giving. You're not going to change one person died for me, and that's Jesus Christ. And I will see him one day. I will see him face to face one day. And I want to look and be able to stand and look back like Stephen did in the book of Acts and look back on my life. So may God help you if you're still stuck at 10%. May God help you because you obviously have not understood what has happened if you're saved. That the Son of God was sent to earth in flesh to die on a cross. So get over yourself. Take your eyes off yourself. And get your eyes on the mission field where it should be. Okay? God's got no problem with prosperity, but let no one judge you for your giving. But nor will I let you judge me for my receiving. Because Scripture says very clearly, he who sows will receive. God provides seed to the sower. So you want to receive, you know, there there you go. You've got to learn to receive. God provides seed to those who sow. And so I am quite happy to prosper. In every way, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Funny story with Benny Hinn. Years ago, one of the guys in one of Benny Hinn's churches in his early days, one of the members brought him a brand new Mercedes. And Benny Hinn didn't know how to handle it. I can't receive, I can't receive. So he took the car, he was driving to church, and he, he hit the car, he parked at the back of the church because <laughs> he didn't want any members to see it. You know, hysterical, absolutely hysterical. I'm glad he told that story very honest. Listen, folks, let me, I'm quite happy to talk to you one-to-one. I will drive whatever I want to drive, and you will not dictate that. I will live where I feel God wants me to live, and I will wear whatever God wants me to wear. Amen. See this shirt? It's a thousand pounds. No, I'm only joking. (laughs) 
Pre-mark. <laughs> no. I will wear whatever I want to wear. I will drive whatever I want to drive. And I suggest to you, once you start bringing yourself under the control of people, once that you've lost God, there's a big mistake there. There's a big mistake. Once people's opinions become more important in my giving and in my receiving, because if I don't receive, I can't give. Once people's opinions of my receiving and my giving start to take priority, I've lost it. I've lost the connection and God is no longer on the throne. It's my image. It's how I'm seen. It's criticism. It's all those things and you're on the wrong road. Amen. Some of you need to open up to receive. I tell you. And that's actually why you're struggling to give. For, like Peter. And Peter would never have dreamed that that was his blockage. But in his case, that most definitely was his blockage. I love what David Pawson says. I'm glad he said it. <laughs> he said, isn't it strange how Christians spend so much time praying about finances when it is the one thing that you don't need to pray about? <laughs> Great statement. Isn't it funny how Christians spend so much time praying about finances when it's the one thing that doesn't come by prayer? Well, it's not the one thing. There's other things that don't come by prayer like faith. But finances, you've got to give to receive. Amen. Okay? You've got to give it out there. You've got to be moving in that. But people go about these things, not just finances, but many things the wrong way. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Look at this. Another very good scripture here. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, this is Paul again. He answers many questions for us that tangle people up, Paul does. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, he talks to everyone here this morning, especially those of you in ministry, especially on the evangelism team, the worship team, ushers, whatever you do, setup team, because people have passions about things, and Paul's addressing that sort of person. He says this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, but since you excel, so these are people who are excelling in their ministry areas. They're passionate about God and things. But since you excel in everything, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You understand? Look up a moment. Someone will come to me and they say, I don't want to hear about giving. I just, want to, I just want to lead worship. Worship's my passion. That's absolutely fine. But Scripture says, keep your passion, but see to it that you also encourage, grow within you a passion for giving. You may say evangelism. That's what I care about, Pastor Mike. I don't need to hear about finances. No, that is imbalanced, and that's not what Scripture teaches. Just as you have a passion for this or for that, God says that He wants also because he knows how growth comes. He knows how to keep us safe, and he wants to use us for eternal reward. And God says, see that you have a passion for finances. We need to talk more about finances, folks. If you care about mission, you will care about money, because missions is funded by money. This church that you attend here was planted by funds that were raised in the faith pledge system in Singapore by people that most of whom you have never met. But people, human beings, gave those funds so that we could be here. And it's still the same today. It doesn't fall out of the sky. These, these three points, you know them well, but I mean, please accept them spiritually, folks. It's God's will to prosper you. Can you say amen to that? Do you believe that? 
It says that in Jeremiah 29, 11. You don't need to look at it. You all know it by heart. God says, I know the plans that I have. They are plans to prosper you. So this is talking about God. It's not talking about you. You may not want to prosper. You may think you're so, you know, into God or whatever that money's not important to you. Well, you've got that wrong right there. Because Jesus speaks about money, and God says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to bring you to a place of prosperity. So therefore, I've got to line up my will with with God's will. That's what I've got to do. This is His will for me. Secondly, it will only be along biblical lines. And those lines, the four principles, the tithe, the free will offering, the sacrificial giving, and then ultimately His goal for you, for me, is faith. Now, I, I forgot to say this the other week. I just mentioned it last Sunday night. Please let me make one thing very clear. You don't give to get. If you give to get, that's called outright wickedness. That's evil, okay? You, don't, you never give to get. That's a bad motivation. If we, do, if we do that, we have misunderstood everything. We haven't got it. We've missed it. You might think you got it, but you didn't get it. The, the only real clear way of describing that is to parallel it with what John, Paul says in Romans when he talks about grace and sin. Remember, Paul says, where sin abounds, there grace abounds all the more. And then he says, so shall we sin in order to get more grace? God forbid, he says. If you do that, you missed the whole point. You didn't understand. When we give, we will receive. Jesus promised it. Pressed down, shaken together. So shall we give in order to get? God forbid. God forbid. You've missed the point. That wasn't the reason. That, was, that should never be your motive. The, the blessing that God talks about here, it actually comes to us indirectly. It's like, an, as so many things come that way, actually, in the kingdom. It's an indirect blessing. And you, you see, folks, sorry, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I could walk around this church here. This person prospers. This person doesn't. But they both give. This person prospers, that person doesn't. This person prospers, that person doesn't. This person prospering, that person's not. Wow, look at that. And of course, only God knows your heart, and He knows the reasons why some prosper. Some people are able to give much, much more. Some people grow from strength to strength, and others don't. Now, we could spend weeks on that alone. But the indirect nature of our giving, in other words, we never give to get is one of the reasons that our primary motive can be wrong. It's a bit like, like baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's a guy in, uh, I can't remember which state it was in, a guy in America, and people started traveling from other churches to his church because every time he, he received people, they got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And pastors were sending his people to this pastor, and like a couple of days, and they were spirit-filled, and they would come back. And eventually some of the guys went down and said, look, I've had that person as a member for 20 years. They never received the Spirit. They've always been dull. What did you do? We've been praying for the Spirit. We've been laying hands on them. What did you do? And that pastor said, well, you see, I've got a little secret. Do you know what I do? When they come to me seeking the Spirit, I bring them 
another way, indirectly. I discovered it years ago. And, oh, that's how it works. So, what do you mean? And he said this, when they come to me and say, I want to receive the Spirit, I say to them, worship Jesus. Focus on Jesus Christ. But I want to focus on worshiping Jesus Christ. Lift up his name, praise him, remember what he's done, praise Jesus. And he says, as I push them and constrain them, suddenly the Spirit comes. And the spirit of the person changes. Correct, Agnes? A person receives a worshiping spirit. They become a worshiper. It's who they are. It's what they are. Because their focus is on who? Jesus Christ. The primary cause, primary reason from heaven for the outpouring of the Spirit to worship the Lord, to enable us to worship God. You understand? It's indirect. And the same with our giving. We give because we want to see the kingdom blessed. Faith, number three. The whole purpose of this is that our, our, God wants to grow our faith. He wants to change us through developing our faith. But we need to accept the fact that that requires me, that requires you to take an action. So, <laughs> faith without works is um, not very healthy. Uh, stone cold dead. So if you're not doing something, I'm sorry, folks, but there's no miracle in that. You look at how miracles come. And if I asked many of you, you would not be able to even explain that in a simplistic way because you don't see it. You've missed it. Jesus. Miracles come with action. The man, here's an example. There's a man with a withered hand. You see, needs a miracle. And Jesus walked up to him. What did he say? Stretch out your hand. Action. He can't. He can't, can he? That's the whole point. My arm's withered. It can't stretch out. But Jesus, action. Jesus speaks. It's faith pledge. You, he speaks. We hear a word. We hear a figure, a number. And then the faith follows. So Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, okay, I'll give you a miracle, but you've got to understand one thing. You first act. Stretch out your hand. And the man does, boom. There's a blind man lying on a mat. Same thing. Jesus walks up to him and says, get up and go and wash in the pool. He can't. He's blind. He can't take that action. It seems impossible. But when the person takes the action, the, understand the process here. The word comes. You take the step, boom, then you get your miracle. Okay? There's no end of them. The cripple on the mat. Remember the, the widow's oil. What have you got? You need to bring the flour and your oil, and the miracle will come upon that. The cripple on the mat. I mean, that's a joke. Jesus walks up to the cripple and says, pick up your mat and walk. What are you talking about? Pick up my... I'm a cripple. Exactly. When you take the action... You hear the word, you take the action, the miracle follows. And some of you have not done that. You're waiting for I don't know what. We need the word, and primarily this morning. Don't miss that. We need the word of God for our finances, folks. And Scripture calls God by many names. He's Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord my righteousness, the Lord my healer. He's Jehovah Jireh, correct? That means that he's supposed to be the Lord my bank manager. Not a business, not any comparison to any government of this world. 
But when you follow the principles of the kingdom, they can sometimes seem very foolish. The wisdom of God is foolishness. Foolishness. So don't let people hold you accountable to their systems. I could give you so many examples from that I've heard over the years. Even our own senior pastor, Rick Seward in Singapore, his first ever large sum of money that he saved was $600,000 that they had in the church before the, 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 the church had any buildings. They had nothing. And the members thought, oh, going to do a building, going to do a building. And he was in Los Angeles. And they were downtown, and there was a hospital there that had just become vacant. And Tommy Burnett was there, and he said, I have a dream, word. I have a vision. I'd like to buy this hospital and invite the homeless people, the drug addicts, the prostitutes here in Los Angeles to come to this place. And Rick was there, the word. Heard it. He went back to Singapore, and he said, I think we should, we've got 600 grand in the bank. I think we should give a gift. How much do you think the gift was? <laughs> 600,000? At that point, at that point, they've received many gifts since, but at that point, that was the largest gift that church had ever received. And they put the deposit on that hospital. Today, it's called the LA Dream Center. Many of you will have heard of it. Famous all over the world. It was Rick that paid the deposit on it, guys. And from that one center, the last count I heard, there were 470-odd dream centers in cities all over the world. Funny how you give one gift, and God can do so many things. And those people who put that 600, whoa, man, there's some interest on that gift. There's some interest. Is going to, when they get to heaven, well, I put in a thousand of that 600,000. Well, actually, I opened up centers all over the world. God can do so much if we play by His rules, work in His economy, don't let people mock you, stuff it. You serve God. You work for God. And you understand that He is not like men and let them think you're foolish. Who cares? And I counsel you folks, learn to trust Him, learn to hear from Him, but do not disobey the, 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 the principles that I'm giving you because it's not going to work. You bring your tithe in, 10%. After that, you find some free will somewhere, and then your heart's changed. You begin to sacrifice consistently, right? Excuse me for repeating this example, but I, I, I need you to understand I told the guys last Sunday night, I had just made a very large faith pledge. We had no money left, and I had a crystal clear word from God to buy Pastor Johan an iPad. Clear, clear as day. So, you know, what do you say to God? I said, God, let him buy his own iPad, actually. <laughs> I've got a better idea. Why don't we get him to buy his own? What's all that about? But, you know, so quick I understood what it was about. Doing very well in tithe, in free will, in faith. And I felt God just come very close to me and say, Mike, great faith, sacrifice. Don't forget your sacrifice. Ah. And we had to give up this, give up that, and get the money together. The faith, you see, some people who tithe, they're horrible Christians. Sorry, didn't mean to look at some people. <laughs> <laughs> Some people tithe horrible because they never changed. 
because the tithe doesn't change you. Some people with faith, some people with faith, horrible people, you see. Right? It's true. Because there's more to it than that. The Scripture talks about four levels of giving. And I thank God that I've got a father who was watching me grow and supervising my growth and said, oh, yo, come back here. Sacrifice. Bow your heart. And remember to love people. Thank God. Bank manager. Thank you, Lord. Jehovah Jireh. That's what it means. The Lord who will control my finance and guide me, lead me as I should go, not as I would go. Unfortunately, many of us, because of our background, because of our history, maybe because of our parenting, we try to deal with God in other ways, and they simply do not work. If your parents were not skilled, if they allowed you to be bad-tempered or a bad mood, and they gave in to you. So if you were a child and you didn't get what you want, and you bang your feet and you scream, and you, your father or your mother gives in, you're a spoiled child. You'll be a spoiled adult as well. And you can become very domineering and dominant in your work, in your marriage, to your kids, to your family, to your friends. You can become a pretty nasty person. But it works, you know. They're all afraid of me. I know how to dominate my office. I know how to dominate my class. Try that with God. <laughs> you won't dominate God. You see? He doesn't. This whole process here works. Your health and your prosperity... You can't blackmail God. He doesn't respond to pressure of any sort. You can't bribe Him. That's what Jacob tried to do. And He doesn't respond to pain either. Not, not much anyway. Sounds terrible when you say that, but it's true. Pain is not the thing that motivates God. Oh, God, please, please help. Hmm. Not much, no. Pain doesn't motivate God. That's because he's got a bigger lens than you. And if you pull back the lens and you look at the whole earth and you look at the Christians being martyred now all over the world and then we look at your pitiful little, oh, please help. Just be quiet, child. Just be quiet. Talk to me about pain. So you need to see it from God's perspective and understand the way he sees you. He will not be manipulated. Heaven works on the currency of faith. That is always the way it's been. It's not even righteousness as such. Faith is credited as righteousness. It's, it's faith first. Abraham wasn't chosen because he was a good guy, godly guy. Abraham was chosen because he was a man of faith, and that was credited as righteousness. So you, you, you get these whole things wrong. Heaven, this kingdom, this country, this nation— works on faith. That's how it works. Only faith. Only faith. You've got no righteousness of your own anyway, so don't even go there. Faith in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen. Only faith. Next slide, please. You remember these levels of faith? All of us here, every person in the room has these three right now. You operate in them, and it's important that we recognize them and, and, and we try to grow them, okay? Little faith. We've all got little faith. There's something that you, you know you should believe in, and you're trying to believe in it, okay? But you still haven't got it, and you keep persisting, and you keep persisting, and eventually got it. We've all done that on some issue sometime. That's called little faith, like the persistent widow, okay? Was the persistent widow praised for her faith? No. She was praised for her persistence. 
And we've all had little faith on some issue. We got what we were praying for, but it wasn't actually faith. It was persistence, and that's okay, but it's called little faith. Then you've got the likes of the centurion. You see, folks, look at me a moment. You've got little faith, but you also have great faith. Because sometime in your life, you heard a word from God. He said something to you. He told you something. And you believed it. You had doubts. But you overcame the doubts and you still hung in there and eventually you received that promise. Do you remember? We've all done If you're born again here this morning, you have experienced this. So you have had great faith. You overcame doubts. You've had little faith. You're a person of great faith. But you're also a person of perfect faith. And that's encouraging. What's perfect faith? Perfect faith is whenever God says something to you and you do not doubt. Great faith has doubts but overcomes them. Perfect God at some point has spoken to you. And he said something to you and no matter what happened, you had no doubts. You held in there. So you're a person of little faith in some things. You're a person of great faith in some things. And you're also a person of perfect faith. And God's goal is to get us to understand how we're working, understand the mechanics of my spiritual life, and advance up that list so there's more great and more perfect faith taking place. Next slide, please, Madhu. Another way of looking at it is the whole world knows God as creator, but they're not saved. Okay, Romans chapter 1 and 2 says that. They know him. That, that's a faith of a sort, if you like. Every human being knows that there's a God. But some people take a step of faith to the second point. You have done that if you're born again. The day came when you put your faith in him. You received saving faith. And now you know him as Redeemer and Lord. He's your Savior. But it doesn't stop there. So keep coming. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep growing. We also need to encourage the gift of faith. Even seek the gift of faith or actions of faith. So that we're actually moving and growing and changing in the way that God wants us to. Jesus, at the back of the hall on the table at the far side, this is a book that I wrote uh, three or four years ago. Uh, Leanne, myself, and Tom constructed this from the broadest possible. It's called My Father's Business. Because when, when Jesus went off and his parents couldn't find him, do you remember when they went to get him? Remember his amazing reply. Business. Business? What do you mean business, child? What's in your mind? Didn't you know? You see, his father had a business. He's a carpenter. And Jesus needed the father, Joseph and Mary, to understand something. I got another father. <laughs> and you need to understand, Joseph, that your earthly business and the way it runs and the Judaic system, I got another kingdom. I got another business that belongs to God my Father, and these are the rules that I will be playing by. And it, this book, it's at the back. It's for sale today for five pounds. And that money, all the profits of that, we're going to send to the shoebox appeal, which goes to the orphans in Romania, Bulgaria. If you feel you're struggling with your free will offering, Go on. In fact, just give the money straight to Isabel. Five pounds, okay? 
go and take a book. If you haven't got it with you, take the book, give it to her the next time you see her, and make that a free will offering. If you've got friends who you know that they're not right, this is a very balanced book, very, very balanced. It will help them with their giftings, with their skills, the, the, what God has given. Every part of their life should be included, not just about finance. Half of it, quarter of it's about finance. And it, it, it should make you an, an integral person where everything, every part of you gets included. The problem with finance is we, we partition it. We, we sideline it and, and treat it differently. Big mistake. And the goal of that book is actually to make God's will for my whole life, including finances. If you turn over your page, I'm not going to go through that, the thoughts on money. I'll leave you to read that in your own time. Uh, I'll save that, the, this thoughts on money for another day, for another evening or something like that. But look at this page here. Missions, faith, pledge, page and if you do this, please, just tear it off. Just tear it off. It says simply this, as God enables me, I will express my faith and, and help for the lost as Jesus enables me to fulfill the visions and objectives of Victory Family Center and New Mercy. By faith, I promise to give, and there's a blank space there, each month for six months. This is not your tithe. This is not your free will offering. This is not sacrifice. This is a different thing. This morning, what we're asking you to do, and we're going to give you some time right now. Do you know what I need you to do? Listen. Listen. The man with the withered hand, he hears the voice of Jesus stretch out. And he does it, and the miracle follows. And this is the principle. This is why it's a faith pledge. Because God's goal is to, to pull me forward, bring me forward. I want you to hear. And people get all confused about how you hear or what you hear. Do I hear a booming voice? Well, for us very often, it's, I find God not lacking, not slow to speak on these things. It, it, you know, s some people scare me because I've picked up some of these forms in the past. And do you know what it said here? 10 pounds. <laughs> nobody in this country, nobody in the UK should be putting 10 pounds a month down on this page, friend. I find it very difficult to believe that that's faith. Sorry. God help us. God help us. Lord, would you give us faith? Would you give us faith and help us not just to mouth the words that you're our provider? Would this morning, would you help us? God, we make together as a company of people here, we collectively make that commitment, first of all, to tithe, and we do it happily because of what you've done for us and what it can do for the world. God, if we have become selfish, then today we make a commitment to give of our own free will, not because you tell us, to find someone to bless bless them and help us to come through the road of sacrifice. Paul said he knew what it was to be abased, to have little because he had sacrificed, and he knew what it was to have a lot and to abound. And you want us all to be able to sacrifice. And ultimately, God, this faith is your goal. 
And I accept that. And I pray you would speak to every one of us this morning in your grace. Lord, forgive us for not listening to you. Forgive us for being financially in error in any way in our lives. And I ask that your grace would abound in this place and that you would speak. Open the ears of every person present and say to them what you can do in six months through them. Give them faith, Father. Speak, Lord.